How's it going, everybody? You are listening to the Eastminster Young Adults Podcast, a place where you can learn more about what it means to be a young adult Christian in times like these. You know, studies show that two of every three young adults have a challenging time finding Christian community. Eastminster Presbyterian Church seeks to create a community where you can be known, loved, and challenged without the fear of facing judgment. In doing so, we believe that the world will be a better place. So thanks for listening to the podcast. All right, all right, here we are going through the New Testament, this section by section here, and I started last episode by just getting through the genealogy that we find in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. The next section, at least according to the Bible I'm using, is the birth of Christ, Matthew 1, 18 through the rest of the chapter. And uh, at the time of this recording, we're just, a, we're in this, actually, we're in the second Sunday after Epiphany, which is just a few weeks after Christmas, so I'm sure... At some point, we've read through this passage, so if you could spare me reading through it uh, verse by verse, we just know that in Matthew's version of it, we tend to see the birth of Jesus through his father Joseph's eyes, right? Uh, So we know that Mary and Joseph are engaged to be married. Mary is pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph wants to try to figure this out, right? Like he knows this is a cultural taboo. Uh, he doesn't want to see Mary disgraced, but he doesn't also want to like break the law of Moses. And so he's trying to thread the needle here. Can I divorce her quietly? Can we go on with our lives, even though we live in a rather small settlement called Nazareth in Galilee? Um, and so as he's putting these plans together, I, I envision Joseph like hands in his front pocket, late at night, looking at the ground, pacing in some alleyway in Nazareth muttering to himself and just trying to figure it out, right? Just sorting it out. You've probably been there before. Tough decision to make. Maybe even like a lose-lose situation. And you think to yourself, what am I going to do next, right? So here he is, and then an angel comes to him and uh, says, you know, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Just take Mary as your wife. Basically tries to console him, and he gives him two promises, that the son would uh, would uh, be given to Israel for the forgiveness of their sins, and that this is a fulfillment of what God has spoken through the prophet Isaiah from Isaiah chapter 7, uh, that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so after all this, Joseph woke up from his dream after having an angel in his dream, and he he's no longer thinking about it. Like he has resolved to know what to do. It says, Joseph awoke from sleep and did what the angel of the Lord told him. He took his wife but did not have marital relations with her until she gave birth to a son whom he named Jesus. And so what can we say? I mean, inevitably you've heard sermons or studies after this passage. Um, I think what I would want to focus in on is um, it is is clear that in the Gospels, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that the initial content, initial chapter, so of each of the books, it serves as like an overture to the rest of the book. So uh, hopefully you're familiar with that term, an overture. In a symphony is where the orchestra plays samples of all the major movements, and then they draw them out at the give it different movements um, of the symphony in the time ahead. So some themes are laid side by side, you know, just next to one another so that we get trained on what the author is going to try to tell us. 
A gospel book is a persuasive book. And so the author, Matthew, is assuming that we're in point A and he wants us in point B. And so one of, a, one of the critical tools of persuasion is to tease out uh, potentially barrier-grade uh, issues early so that it doesn't disarm or so it disarms, it doesn't uh, persuade someone not to continue to read further. And so what can we say here? What we can say here is that Jesus' story has both uh, ordinary and extraordinary pieces to it. Uh, Jesus comes from an ordinary family, and they're from the working poor, taxed to near oblivion because of the Roman Empire. There are Galileans, which means um, people who live in Judea, which is Bethlehem and the vicinity of Jerusalem, you know, turn their noses down to these people. I mean, Nazareth was a hick town. I mean, it, it, it was a place so small and insignificant that archaeology exposes that there wasn't even like a one communal bath that they all shared. Like, you know, this place is just really not a significant place. So Jesus comes from common ground. But he's also comes with, there's like extraordinary pieces of who he is. Uh, his, the way his birth is going to come about is extraordinary. It's startling. It's surprising. It confounds. And it does take some, some intermediary work of heavenly beings uh, to prepare people for it to come to pass. And so this is the initial lens that we're given uh, as like a way to decode. Not like it's, the gospel's not cryptic, but we do need a lens in order to read it so that eyes of our common eyesight and also the eyes of faith can be employed at the same time. Uh, because Jesus is going to teach like other teachers, but his teaching is going to have distinction. Uh, Jesus is going to fulfill some of the pieces of the messianic hope, but he's also going to surpass them and be different as well. And so we have this we have this vantage point of seeing common and uncommon, common and extraordinary, I guess we could say, side by side as we read page after page. That is the tune that we're going to need to whistle along to if we're going to get the most out of this gospel. And that is the life that we're called into as Christians. We're not called to leave the world, but to be in and among the world. But uh, we have a message that's not from this world, as Jesus says, but it is certainly a word for this world, as N.T. Wright likes to say. Jesus's message and his kingdom and his work is not from this world, but it is certainly for this world. So we carry these two lenses with us common and extraordinary at the same time. And that really reshapes everything that we do. So every common relationship we have, it's actually uh, the very boundary line for uncommon and extraordinary things to happen. So like the, the, uh, this relationship that we have with our barber at the barbershop or the barista at Starbucks or the manager that we have at work. Like, yes, the, okay, coffee is exchanged for money. Um, we pass them and we scan the phone as we go into the gym. Uh, we get a haircut routinely. Uh, we work in a work group with these people. That's like the common lens. But the extraordinary lens says, okay, but this person's created the image of God. God uh, sent Jesus on a mission to rescue their soul. And so what might Jesus do in and through me in order to open this person's eyes to the way of faith? And so um, I think what we could take from... This announcement of Jesus being born, that there's common and there's extraordinary elements to everything that we experience in this moment. So a meal with our family is not just a meal. Um, the racquetball game that we have with a co old college friend is not just a coincidence that we have that space open in our calendar. No, like there's something that's being drawn together potentially uh, in the heavenlies and the outworking of the kingdom of God. And so we get used to common 
and extraordinary overlapping as we continue in this life of faith. All right, so the next time, uh, whenever we put the next uh, podcast together, we're going to go to chapter two, which is the visit of the wise men, which is uh, which is the dawning of Epiphany, the season, which is we're in right now at the time of this recording. And so the next time around, I will unpack uh, verses one through 12 of Matthew chapter two. So thanks for hearing me out. All right, so as you know, we are trying to give ourselves to five practices to help engage in the missional life, and they are found in an author named Michael Frost in his book, Surprise World, and it's an acronym BELLS, B-E-L-L-S. And uh, once again, running through them, B is to bless three people, including one person outside of your church. Uh, uh, E is to eat with three people, uh, one person outside of your church, to learn from uh, the way of Jesus. Uh, meditating on the Gospels, to listen to the Spirit, be a Spirit-led people, and then to live as a sent person. And so with each episode, I'm just going to cover one in a little more depth so that we can continue to give ourselves to these practices. Keeping in mind that discipleship happens not just because we learn more data in a notepad, uh, but we learn through motion. Uh, Paul, as he raised up disciples, he said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so here are practices that we want to give ourselves to. And uh, so we're going to talk about eating this week. And eating... Um, once again, that practice is to eat with three people a week, one of them outside the church. And I know that in COVID-19, it's a little more challenging and eating is not just eating food, but it's also maybe catching a drink with somebody, either bean or barley or thereabouts. And so just finding a way to sit down with somebody to slow life down and to mingle together. I've noticed something in the way that we meet together, particularly in the donning of devices, uh, small enough to fit in our hands that we can connect to over and over again, is that I think sometimes uh, interacting with one another is sad because it digresses into, hey, did you see what so who so-and-so, how they posted on Facebook? Or, hey, did you see this thing on Twitter? Or, hey, did you see this like meme? Or, hey, did you see this YouTube video? And like people are just kind of showing their phones to one another. And, you know, it's okay. But I, I, th- I feel like we go away from those going, you know, a little underwhelmed with our interaction with that person. And so I've just been trying to take note of when have I had more uh, vivid encounters with people? And I'm not saying phones are bad. Uh, That's not that easy. Uh, Phones can help us and they can hinder us. But uh, there's a guy on my hockey team, and he is such a great conversationalist. And I've just been taking note with how uh, we interact. So we have, when we play hockey game, we usually get there by Elvis about half hour early to put on pads and to catch up. Then we play the game, and then we take off pads and uh, get ready to leave. But there's always conversation with one another. And it never fails. The most vivid and meaningful conversations uh, revolve around this person. And what I find is that what he does, what he seems to do is he seems to just like think of a couple things that he did throughout the week and he'll just kind of jump into a conversation. So like this other time he just, he said, hey, I, I went to uh, Chester's the steak place over here on the east side of town. And he just kind of went into this long detail about the, uh, some food that his friend got. And he was able to kind of articulate it. And on the on the surface, it wasn't anything very meaningful. But, like, he just engaged all of us. And that, like, led to other tributaries of a conversation. And I went away going, that's a really good idea. Like, just to come armed, uh, if I could use that term, or maybe just prepared is a better term, with a few things that you found interesting, that I find interesting, uh, in between the times that we've seen a person in a conversation, and just to bring those things up. And 
the cool conversation that happens because of it. And that's what happens when we eat. When we eat, we get to slow down. If we eat too fast, we get indigestion, which is painful. And so over time, we just learn subconsciously that when we eat, we need to take our time. And so in order to make a meal time significant and meaningful, I think there's got to be great conversation. And so my encouragement is to, as we eat with three people this week, uh, to think about some interesting things that came up and not like the latest episode of The Bachelor or something on, you know, Facebook or whatever. Uh, but just something that you encountered in life, um, something that you saw, uh, something that you witnessed, maybe a new food that you tried, maybe um, a new movie that you watched, but not just, hey, I'll watch this, uh, but like, hey, this is how it spoke to me. And try that on because people are really interested – a person wouldn't want to go out to eat with you and me unless they were interested in who we are. And so I think it, it begs us to show how interesting we can be by bringing up interesting things. And so I would just encourage you to do some, some pre-work before you sit down with somebody. Think about three or four things that you find interesting that can uh, open up the conversation like an envelope. And who knows where it goes from there. Here's what I know. that People uh, are attracted to people who um, care to listen to them and who contribute to a conversation and contribute to their lives. And I would just hope that you and I would have that gift in increasing measure so that we just have these budding friendships in our lives. So I encourage us to try that as we eat with people around us. So try it out. Let me know what you think. Hey, before we go, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and give us a rating so that more people can be drawn to the podcast. We also have a Eastminster Young Adults Facebook page. If you'd like to be a part of that, please look for it and send a request so we can add you to the closed group so you can stay up to date on all the things that are going on in young adult life. Thanks. We'll see you next time.